Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, a bunker for small business owners to wait out the carnage of the pandemic by listening to the stories of other small business owners going through the same struggles you are. The goal here is to take a realistic look at the real-world impacts on entrepreneurs and solopreneurs by talking to small business owners about their original plans for 2020, what actually happened, and what might come next. Today on the show, we will be talking with Shane Shade, who was in the middle of revolutionizing the hotel minibar when COVID hit. Obviously, not a great time to depend on a thriving travel and hospitality industry, but we'll get to that in just a minute. First, our fun fact. Yay! Today's fun fact is a twofer. First, weekly unemployment dropped below 700,000 for the first time since the pandemic started. And second, the average daily COVID-19 death rate dropped below 1,000 for the first time since early November. Both are absolutely terrible under normal circumstances, but do show that we are on the right path. As we do every week, as a way of taking a snapshot, a sort of historical reference point, it's time for facts and figures. Starting with COVID-19 stats, we are generally moving in the right direction here in the U.S. Deaths are down below 1,000 per day, 136 million shots have been administered, with more than 2.6 million adding to that total each day, and the number of active cases has dropped 9 straight weeks to 7 million. Unfortunately, the number of new cases increased for the first time in 11 weeks, from 55,000 to 60,000. This is significant because in order to eliminate COVID-19, the number of new cases obviously must continue to drop. On to economic stats. We already talked about unemployment, but let's dive a little deeper. 684,000 Americans filed for first-time unemployment claims last week. That is the lowest number since the pandemic started. Regular listeners also get a reprieve from hearing me say this would have been a record prior to COVID. That's because the pre-COVID weekly record number of first-time unemployment filers was 695,000 back in the early 80s. That number has been surpassed for almost exactly a year, every single week, but the streak is finally over. 684,000 is still atrocious under normal circumstances, but we are headed in the right direction. As for the stock market, this year will be the subject of economic classes for decades to come. After plunging 20% in less than two weeks at the start of the pandemic, the stock market has just been moving up and up and up, up nearly 40% since the start of the pandemic. The Dow finished last week above 33,000 for the first time ever, and the S&P is only 26 points of 4,000, a threshold previously never broken. And on that note, let's get to our interview. Today's guest is Shane Shade, whose company, Les Snack Pack, is reinventing the hotel minibar and turning it into a delicious, fresh, and affordable snack experience. After traveling to over 500 farmer's markets in search of new-to-market, tasty treats, Shane's mission is to introduce the world to the best snacks you have never had or heard of, support small businesses, and turn the outdated minibar model into a farm-to-table snack adventure. Mm -hmm. 
Shane, thanks so much for being here. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. So to get started here, let's have you tell us about your two different companies, basically Nosh and Lisnack. I'm more than happy to. So Nosh Market is the parent company of Lisnack Pack. And Lisnack Pack is a company that was started uh, with COVID in mind to provide a pre-packaged option for hotel guests. Nosh Market focuses on the luxury hotel market and La Snack Pack focuses more so on the three, four-star hotels providing a fresh, affordable snack experience. And what was your inspiration for starting Nosh Market first? The inspiration for Nosh Market was to introduce the world to small snack companies that are derived from farmers markets and just really supporting the small business and the up and coming snack brands. No, and I know that you are somewhat proud of the number of farmers markets that you've been to. Do you do you want to do you want to share that? I'm very proud of it. I've been to over 500 farmers markets. I love going to farmers markets. It's a an amazing place uh, to find these snack brands. And uh, it's just a, a great uh, experience visiting the markets. Yeah, well, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, that, that's where, where I started my first company was at our, at the La Jolla Farmers Market on Father's Day of 2013. And went from the, the farmers market as like a just doing it on Sundays to Saturdays and Sundays to, okay, great, people are actually buying this. Well, let's go ahead and take this product that we're baking in my dad's kitchen and move to a commercial kitchen, go to juice bars and coffee shops and start selling in the local local community. Do you find that at farmers markets, you're able to find products that are unique uh, beyond what you could find at at your normal supermarket? I believe so. I think that the farmer's market is also really great for the suppliers because they could do a proof of concept regarding flavors. And it's a wonderful place to kind of figure out which flavors are the most popular before you're even uh, speaking with potential buyers, which um, might have certain preferences. I like what you said about there being uh, uh, it's an opportunity to have that proof of concept because for a lot of basically, I think like there are kind of two broad categories of companies that go to farmer's markets. There's one that just wants to keep it as that side gig. And then two, the one that wants to use it as a proof of concept as they scale it into something bigger. So the, the, the dream would be to be at a farmer's market looking to scale bigger and then have you walk by and say, hey, I love this product. I'd love to get it in, into into the hands of some hotel guests. That, that That's always like when people were, would used to ask why I would keep doing the farmer's markets, even after we had grown, part of it was like, well, you never know who's going to come by. It could be it could be Shane. Exactly. Exactly. And it's uh, it's really cool because I feel like the energy of the market, it's just a really happy place. And for your product to to grow and thrive in that setting, it's just, I think it's a really beautiful uh, start to somebody's snack journey. And what what was your journey prior to starting Nosh? What, what was it that, did you have a background in food or in, in sales and working with hotels? Actually, completely different industry. And it's a, it's a pretty fun story. 
I was in the diagnostic industry and uh, a partner in an MRI company. And unfortunately that company's technology was becoming outdated and we would get these subpar gift baskets around the holidays. And so initially I wanted to create an elevated gift basket. And so when that company was looking like it was gonna you know, go bankrupt, I started this uh, journey to travel to all these markets. So during a bleak time, you know, had a, a, a nice onset to this uh, new company. Right. Wow. So did you end up starting one that was doing that was looking to do gift baskets specifically? Because I know or I think I know that you've now moved focus to the, the hotel industry. Exactly. I initially wanted to focus on gift baskets and I scratched that idea when somebody had mentioned to me, wow, these products are so great you should really focus on the hotel setting and the distribution of the product. So some words of wisdom that uh, went a long way and I'm happy I took that person's advice. <laughs> yeah. How would you compare that to the sort of business model of the, of the gift basket world? So the gift basket world is a, it's a completely other type of business and I felt like I was much more passionate about the distribution side versus putting together these gift baskets and having it to be, um, you know, something that's seasonal and that, uh, that I felt like maybe I'd be limiting uh, the potential of something that could be way greater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by selling to hotels, it, you are in you're, it seems like you would be drastically enhancing the size of each order, whereas if you're doing gift baskets, you're generally doing direct consumer rather than selling to hotel groups where the or those those purchase orders should be much larger. Is is that is that precisely? Right? It takes the same amount of energy to process a purchase order for ten units versus ten thousand units. Yes. I prefer the ten thousand units. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that is uh I use that that example all the time when I'm talking about, you know, especially when it's email when it's orders that you are coordinating via email rather than handle and having things uh sent directly from the manufacturer to the recipient. Yeah, if you're entering in, entering something into QuickBooks, if you're entering $100 or $100,000, it's basically the same amount of work. Just it is. A couple more taps on the keyboard and that's it. <laughs> More zeros are always better. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's worth, worth the time. Yeah, definitely. So let's, uh, because this is the, the pre-COVID set, um, let's go ahead and talk about kind of what your, where you were as a company in the end of 2019, early 2020, in terms of kind of uh growth expectations, what you were looking to do in 2020, where you were, if did you have any employees, number of hotels you were working with, kind of just any sort of quantitative metrics you can share. At that time, we were really just starting out. And one of our focus points was New York City. We really wanted to infiltrate the New York market. So we were putting a lot of energy into the hotels in New York City and the East Coast, quite frankly. And at that time, prior to COVID, we actually were in talks with uh, the hotel group, the Freehand, about doing a type of snack pack 
for their hotel guests. And so it was just really interesting that something that we, a concept that we actually applied during COVID actually began prior to COVID. Right, right. And when you're using the term we, what what was the, the size of we uh, prior to COVID? Prior to COVID, it was three individuals. Okay. And th- how long had those three individuals been with you? Uh, they have been with me for about a year, about like just shy of two years now. Okay, great. So they were inside of their first year, but still had been around un- long enough to, to kind of uh, to be branching out and, and not needing you to, to hold their hand through everything. So you at least so you had some partners heading into COVID. Yes, that is correct. Okay. And then heading into COVID, you were you were still um, you, you were focused on Nosh Market and uh, less snack pack had not yet been invented. Is that right? From a timing prior to COVID, yes, yeah. that's correct. Okay, great. Um, and is there much competition in what you are from the Nosh Market side of things? There's definitely a little bit of competition. There's a lot of, um, or not the lot, but there are a couple companies that are doing something similar, uh, and mini bar is their focus. But I believe that we have different snack brands in our portfolio. So I think that's what differentiates Nosh Market from these other companies. I guess it's been a while since I've stayed in a hotel, but when I think about hotel mini bars, I think about it being pretty much the same group of products, whether it's a nice hotel, you know, from from no star to not that I'm staying in many starred hotels, but uh, it, it seems like it, it's there's somewhat of a, a generic snack offering, which is why I, I asked that question. The interesting thing about the mini bar is that the upkeep for the mini bar is extremely costly. So everybody's always wondering why are mini bar products so expensive? Well, to man those products, a hotel has to have has to staff somebody to do so. And they're always asking, well, why are these products uh, maybe not the freshest products? Well, they have to worry about shelf life. So they're supplying products that are gonna have a longer shelf life so that is almost the perfect storm that has caused the mini bar to be not only a, a very premium priced um, place in the hotel, but also which has caused, you know, some of the, the products in that um, setting to be a little bit more generic right. due to the fact that they have a longer shelf life. So essentially you have an, an imbalance between quality of goods and price of those goods. You have a, a low quality or generally lower quality product that we are familiar with. And we are familiar with the price point, you know, it's, it's, whether it's a, a Snickers bar that you can see, get at a gas station for a dollar. Well, it has a really long shelf life. So it's great for a mini bar, but because there's a lot of overhead that we wouldn't or, ordinarily see, there can be some sticker shock in seeing a Snickers bar at four dollars in a mini bar exactly because they have to worry about something which is also a, a term it's called shrinkage costs and that essentially is the the theft of the goods and the spoilage of those goods so it it really there's a lot of things that people don't 
uh, taken account. It's not like the hotels are trying to get you at the mini bar. It's just that they have to price it a, a certain way because of those factors. And what are you doing to eliminate those or, or, or just at least deal with those issues that have previously prevented those hotels from taking on higher end products like what, what you are bringing to them? I always encourage hotels to order a smaller quantity so that it maintains the freshness of the product versus having a large amount of product in inventory. It's, you know, our goal as a company is that the products go straight from the commercial kitchens and the farms to the hotel. So you're get the product hasn't been sitting around. And so our goal with the snack pack is essentially providing these hotel guests a fresh product that just came from the commercial kitchen, but being that it is something that is a limited availability within the hotel, the hotel doesn't have to worry about having a large amount in inventory. It's that it's more so they sell out, the, the guest gets a fresh snack experience, and then the hotel doesn't need to worry about anything uh, spoiling. And so is Nosh Market, that's the mini bar set, and then La Snack Pack is like a more of a welcome gift? Some hotels are using the snack packs as welcome gifts that is like for the amenities, uh, but other hotels are selling it within the marketplace. Everybody, every hotel is doing something really different. And um, Nosh Market traditionally focuses more so on luxury hotels that they're not looking to get rid of the mini bar. They have a little bit more of a budget for, um, for the, the hotel snacks. But La Snack Pack is focusing on those hotels that have gotten rid of the mini bar because it didn't make sense financially. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's the difference. And then these snack packs are sold in the mini markets or at the front desk where you, you know, you're able to get them when they're in stock, but there is a chance that they are sold out because they are a, a limited availability product. Right, right. Okay, great. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our mid-COVID set and talk all about how COVID has affected Nosh Market, how it inspired the creation of La Snack Pack. But before we do, as always, let's go to our guest's unsponsor. That is an awesome company run by awesome people who produce an awesome product. They're a small business that deserves our support. They don't pay for a shout out, but they get one anyway, just because they deserve it. So Shane, tell us who is today's show not brought to us by? Today's episode is not brought by Gypsy Jet Setter Yoga Mats. And these yoga mats are fantastic because they're non-toxic. I didn't know this, but apparently yoga mats um, have toxic elements in them. Not good. And this company uh, produces vegan non-toxic yoga mats that you can fold. So it's great for traveling and um, they're just a really wonderful product. And the the owner of the company is a fellow Californian and uh, a really cool yoga instructor that um, has a, a really great mission in mind uh, to, to bring the world some non-toxic yoga mats that are easy to travel with. And if our listeners want a gypsy jet setter yoga mat, how do they get one? They would have to go to gypsyjetsetteryoga.com. 
Okay, great. And that is to get the best vegan and travel ready yoga mat because i know travel i've tried to travel with yoga mats before and it's like it takes up half the bag because it rolls up and it's all thick and heavy so this is a nice travel friendly foldable yoga mat available at gypsyjetsetteryoga.com all right welcome to the mid covid segment where we're going to talk about all things uh related to the to to the last year plus now which is crazy to think about Basically, how COVID has impacted uh, you and your businesses. So, uh, to start off with, what was the first impact of COVID that you remember feeling on on Nosh Market? Well, it was a lot of the hotels shutting down. Quite frankly, it we experienced uh, a good amount of hardship, being that a lot of the uh, the hotels had to temporarily shut down. Some are still not open, some reopened, had to close again. There's different markets within the United States that have been affected differently. And, but for the most part, you know, when COVID hit, I don't really know many people that were staying in a hotel. <laughs> right. And, and you said earlier that your primary focus was hotels in New York City? It was a, it wasn't a primary focus, but it was a focus. Okay. Do you know kind of ballpark-ish what percentage of revenue came from the New York City area? I would say about 12%, 12, 15%, something like oh, okay. that. Okay. Less than I would have anticipated. And wh yeah. what other what other cities um, are you is can Nosh Market be found? Pretty much all the major cities. Okay. So I would imagine... I'll just hypothesize here, and then you tell me how far off I am. I would imagine that those big cities, i.e. The, the New Yorks and the Bostons and the, I don't know about Florida, because Florida lives by its own rules, um, but and the, the California big cities, uh, maybe San Francisco, L.A., San Diego. Am I right to assume that those cities were were borderline at a standstill for late March and april you're absolutely correct okay it was a complete standstill and did you how did that feel what was what was your mindset in in those first in the, let's say in that first month i knew in that moment that i needed to pivot and because this snack pack concept was something i was already working on it just felt really right that I just need to go full force. So there wasn't a moment that I, you know, thought to myself, like, woe is me? Why is this happening? I just thought, wow, there's, you know, like right after the Great Depression, the country actually made some of the um, some some really great companies started right after that point. And I just thought, how can I pivot during this, you know, bleak time and create some magic? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you had three employees before COVID and then you saw business get hit, I don't, I don't know, plummet, uh, standstill. I mean, you're, you were in like, basically you're supplying the industry that was arguably hit the absolute hardest. That's correct. 
did you ever <laughs> yes, that is definitely correct okay uh, d- was there ever a time that you felt like you were gonna have to lay people off or did you consider that there was a reduction in hours for everybody mm-hmm. so across the board we just had to make a couple adjustments but everybody was truly understanding about it and uh you know you gotta you gotta you know be very mindful of what you need to do for your business to survive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one thing if you are, I don't know, the, the Amazon or, or Apple of the world and you're sitting on a pile of cash and you're like, yeah, well, you know, we should just pay our people through. And then it's not, I feel like it's another thing entirely when you are a small business and you want to treat your employees right. But if you're at some point, if you're paying everyone their pre COVID wages, very shortly you'll be paying no one any wages because that would be the end of things. Exactly. Well, that's great that your staff was, was able and willing to kind of accept that uh, reduction in, in, in hours. It's obviously hard for anyone um, to, to take a pay reduction, but I guess it's a, it's a fortunate position to be in to, to be able to do that. Did you end up, uh, did, did all of that staff stick with you through COVID? Yes. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I've got a great team, so. Yeah, it sounds like it. And what's your headcount now, out of curiosity? It's now at seven, and that's including uh, some part-time. That's incredible. You've yeah. added headcount during COVID. Yes, we have. Uh, ha- I-, I was going to save it for later, but I... My my curiosity is getting the be- best of me here. How how is that how is that uh, how is that possible? What did you do? You say, share share your magic with us. My goal is to build a team uh, that even if they start like part time, that at least I can vet them out and really make sure that they are the right fit for the company. And so traditionally, I start off really going a little bit slow with my hiring. And I've been really fortunate that the individuals that I've brought aboard, they just, you know, ended up being a really good fit. And they all, you know, everybody does does their part. And it's, uh, you know, it, right. it, so, it works out. So you have a great staff. I guess my question is more along the lines of where did that where did that boost in revenue come from that allowed for increased headcount? Quite frankly, the boost in revenue came from prior to COVID. As I expressed, I was in the diagnostic industry and I still have that company. Then the diagnostic industry wasn't um, as affected by COVID. And so I was able to uh, parlay that, uh, that money into La Snack Pack and Nosh Market and invest in into the um, into less snack pack and Nosh market. So I was very fortunate having the other company that's been able to be uh, a source of uh, you know financial right. influx. Yeah, yeah. So it's m- more about having the confidence to invest in the future uh, rather than maybe a huge boom in in business over the last. Uh, we'll say 12 months. That's entirely correct. Okay. Uh, I'm curious right now, if you care to share what the revenue breakdown is between 
La Snack Pack and and Nosh. Is is La Snack Pack still kind of getting started or is it starting to to produce a meaningful revenue? Well, La Snack Pack is still kind of getting started. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that they're, you know, neck to neck, but La Snack Pack is something that I believe actually will produce more uh, revenue than Nosh Market in the near future because we're also looking to do a subscription model, something we're working on right now because a lot of people have asked, where can we find these snacks? And so that's something we are building at the moment and we're going to launch May 1st. So we're really excited about that. And so that the um, the La Snack Pack will then have the B2B and the B2C. What will, so the, the B2B being still to, to the hotels and then there will also be B2C business to consumer. So d- yeah, direct to consumer basically. And will that be mostly, I assume that will be online? That's correct. Okay. So is, is, the, is the hope that people find you mostly through the hotels and then that inspires interest to investigate and end up subscribing? That is correct. And we're working on something that's really exciting with the La Snack Pack brand within the hotels. And what that is, is a locals guide. We want to encourage hotel guests to explore the city and see what the city has to offer. And so what we're doing is we're partnering with restaurants throughout the city and we're dividing the cities in zones where you can collect really uh, cool, high quality enamel pins and magnets. So you have these awesome keepsakes and the really awesome um, extra element, little bonus about that is when you collect all three of these keepsakes from the different zones, the participating restaurants are going to offer extra savings so that you could, you know, just uh, have like the, the experience as you would as a local and a little memento. Yeah, it's really oh, fun. genius. So you're basically curating almost like a scavenger hunt of activities that a lot that gives people kind of an, an insight into this like uh, kind of locals locals list of restaurants. So it's not just your normal like, hey, there's a Chili's around the corner because you're staying at a hotel and there's always a Chili's next to a hotel. It's like no, here's this list of restaurants that locals that locals go to that you've spent time and effort and energy into into curating that list then the 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 guests now have something to do in this in this city with like some good a, a nice concise but good list high quality list of uh of places to frequent they go there they collect their their souvenirs so they're winning because they're getting some a, a unique um souvenir for during their stay the restaurants are benefiting because they're getting an influx of people and then you're benefiting because you are participating in all of this commercially. Our guest is to provide the most value to the hotel guests and the starting point would be the snacks. And with this locals guide and scavenger hunt exploration guide, the snack packs are perfect for exploring the city because you're able to you know, check out what the city has to offer and you have a little baggie of snacks that of fresh, high quality treats while you're bopping around town. <laughs> right, right. Now we're recording this on March twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. There are, um, let's see, case rates, daily case rates, uh, the the death rates there in, in the U.S. 
they're all trending in the right direction, but COVID is very much still a part of everyday life. Is how is that kind of affecting your business currently in terms of, I guess, uh, kind of where you're putting your efforts and when you're expecting to see return? We are putting a good amount of our efforts in R&D right now. This little scavenger hunt expiration guide is something that we've really sunk our teeth in because we feel like with this little mini folder that is going to be a great add-on for the hotel guest, it's a way that the hotel guest is introduced to La Snack Pack. And so our our uh, priority at this moment is really focusing on having these keepsakes made that are in tune with what the city is about and getting uh, these souvenirs all created so that we're in 30 cities with this concept by the end of the year. 30 cities. I feel like the last time I talked to you, you were at like five. Well, our goal is to be in 30 cities by the end of the year. So it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of R and D and what's really cool about the scavenger hunt on the, the, the backing of the pin cards, there is a, like a fun fact for each city. So like in Miami, we have a enamel pin that's a flamingo and it's like, did you know that flamingos eat upside down? I didn't know that. So, you know, giving uh, people fun facts, snacks, souvenirs, you know, just all together, all in one. Yeah. Okay, so right now it's mostly R&D phase as we're waiting for hotel guests to start to, to, to come out of hibernation. Are you, are you seeing uh, some cities bounce back quicker than others right now? Well, I'd like to talk about Miami right now because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's spring break here and uh, a lot of people are talking about what's happening here. It's so I think it's, um, you know, sure. something to speak about. I'm sure a lot of people, also a lot of your listeners would love to hear from uh, a local, a Miami local about what's going on in Spring yes, Break, please. Miami. So the hotels are all filled. I mean, we the hotels are doing great right now. So, you know, we're, we're very happy uh, with the fact that, you know, the, the purchase orders with the mini bars are much higher than they previously were, but um, the hotel prices are astronomical. It's like a hotel that would be going for like maybe two twenty five is now I'd say like eight hundred dollars. It's it's really insane. So we're getting a lot of tourism, which is great. Um, it, some of the uh, tourism hasn't been that great because it's a little you know it's been a kind of uh, there's been a lot of litter and things of that nature but did I just see something about a curfew being instituted oh yes we have a curfew 8 p.m till April 13th I believe wow okay so there's a curfew in spring break but people are still flocking there and paying willing to pay $800 a night for a hotel it's crazy. And the funny thing is they're shutting down the highways where you have to present a your driver's license or proof that you're staying at a hotel because people were stuck on the causeways for hours just to get into Miami Beach. 
so basically like people are are driving like you know for like hours and hours away from away from Miami just to spend a day or a night there and the city is essentially closed off to those people pretty much yeah the city's kind of having a meltdown at the moment <laughs> wow i i had no idea all yeah. all i had heard about briefly in the national news was the curfew i didn't realize there was so much more to it yeah, it's funny. Even I know somebody whose friend was in an Uber for, I think it was four hours, uh, getting to their hotel, because that's the amount of traffic that um, was, uh, you know, was going on last weekend. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that That's crazy. But I guess we should get back to the focus of this show, which is your yeah, business. And so overall, <laughs> yeah. uh, even as Miami is going crazy and overflowing with spring break, uh, I would imagine, I mean, Miami is always a hub for spring break, but also so much of the country is still shut down and not allowing uh, or encouraging big types of big crowd gatherings. Um, it sounds like Miami is kind of trying to balance those two aspects where it's it it thrives on tourism and it, i'm sure like many cities it's in need of of refilling its coffers uh by through tourism but at the same time it's not like any city wants to be known as the covid hub of uh, of the country right now because they're the place that's encouraging lots of uh Lots of meeting up between in a demographic that isn't exactly known for its uh, prudence in terms of public safety and general awareness and risk moderation, and that being basically a spring break crowd. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, I want to move on to our uh, post-COVID set where we'll talk about basically how you expect things to progress over the course of the next 12-ish months. Um, but before we do, it's time for a quick little break. A quick word from our sponsor, my new company, MakerDay. MakerDay provides unforgettable remote group experiences led by the makers themselves. Think of a Zoom happy hour or wine tasting led by the winemaker herself, or a chocolate experience that starts by tasting a flight of single origin, dark chocolate, and ends by hand rolling your own truffles led by the chocolatier herself. We have kombucha, matcha, cocktails, Turkish coffee, improv, yoga, trivia, and more, always, always, always led by the small business owners themselves. So not only do you and your whole group get amazing products sent directly to each participant, but you'll be inspired by the passion, expertise, and entrepreneurial spirit of the people leading your 60 or 90 minute Zoom. Let our makers make your day with Maker Day. That's M-K-R-D-A-Y dot com. Maker Day. Shane, as we come out of COVID, and it's going to be in a, a gradual evolution, I think, what are you seeing now and what are you sort of expecting and, and planning your business around um, in terms of a return to quote unquote normalcy, whatever that means, um, from like a, a timing perspective and how things will look different moving forward. I personally think that the tourism is going to increase during the summer months. I think that a lot of these cities that have been shut down are going to start opening up 
So I'm very hopeful that we're going to have a, you know, a positive summer, fall, you know, and that the winter season, that the, the cases have gone down and that, you know, that things start to bounce back. So one thing I, I want to talk about, because I know I've grappled with this personally, I'm wondering if how you have dealt with kind of two, two different, um, uh, like kind of opposing feelings internally. W- one being y- there's a public health issue that our, that like we haven't seen for, for generations, basically for a hundred years and, and social distancing and not traveling and, or reducing travel to the, you know, to the, to the bare necessities, like th- these are the things that w- we know to be the way to r- reduce the impact of and spread of COVID-19. But on the other hand, that so- th- that solution, um, that remedy is the absolute worst thing for business, for you, for your business. And it was for mine as well. So I'm wondering how you've sort of dealt with that, or even if you've uh, spent any time focusing on that, basically uh, kind of comparing those two things where, where like what you what you know needs to happen for the sake of public health, but then also kind of going, well, great, every day that things are shut down is another day that my business can't be fully, um, full, can't be thriving, is, is artificially limited. Well, I think in any business, you're going to experience highs and lows, but there's always things that need to get done. And if you're focusing on what you would like, what that ideal scenario is in your business, obviously, where it's, you know, uh, you're extremely busy, that's great. But then during the lows, it's a wonderful opportunity to reach out to your existing client base and really nurture those relationships and uh, think about like think outside the box a little bit and and think about what can you do that you might not have the opportunity to do when your business is thriving. That is such a glass half full, but also uh, just wise way of looking at things, I guess. Thank you. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, you're right there. There's definitely always things that, that can be improved upon. And if you, if, if business is, is kind of firing on all cylinders, it, it can be tough to take a take a minute and reassess what can be improved, what efficiencies can be uh, expanded upon, what bad customers need to be fired, or or what 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 mini pivots you need to make within a business. It's also not a luxury that everyone has necessarily, um, which of course is one of the the more tragic things about the pandemic for I think especially for small businesses is those that have a hard time pivoting and maybe don't have the the cash on hand to survive through it and I think that it'll be a long time I think before we know just how just how bad it really was for small businesses like how many you know ended up closing for a couple of weeks and ended up never reopening but for those of us who have 
been fortunate enough to to have circumstances allow us to to sort of hibernate through the winter and lean down or um, find new efficiencies and and hone our our offerings. You're absolutely right that it's uh, it's kind of an, an artificially imposed upon period for reflection essentially w- within the business and a, a way to come out of it prepared for prepared better than ever basically and it sounds like that's what you've done by not only pivoting within nosh but also by straight up starting a new company that is going to i think be a revolutionary uh add-on for any hotel to have because i've never heard of anything like 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 this like the scavenger hunt aspect to it basically i've never heard of anything like that before so I know that was kind of a little bit long and winding, uh, but basically I'm saying I, I appreciate your perspective on this. Thank you. Looking to the next, I know you, you think that you're, you're saying that the, the summer should be a good month for tourism. It does. It, I totally agree, especially based off of how we are ramping up the immunizations. And it seems like that's actually for the first time in a long time, we have some pretty consistent good news as far as the pandemic is concerned and as far as the medium-term forecast is for the economy. I'm wondering what you are looking forward to most in these next few months. I am looking forward to people getting their sparkle back and being able to explore more. I mean, I'm definitely hopeful about my company, but I feel like a lot of people have been in a really bleak state and I'm just really looking forward to people being able to just see their family, see their friends and really live because I feel like unfortunately with this pandemic, um, there's a lot that uh, has um, been taken away that I think that in the future, we're going to get a lot of those things that were taken away from us and we're going to get it back and we're going to be able to appreciate it more. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when you move somewhere that's, or when you're, when you've lived somewhere that's really, really cold for a really long time and then you move somewhere warm, I think you, you appreciate that, that change in weather, or if you're coming, you know, if you live in Chicago, when it gets to be nice after eight months of winter, you appreciate it more. <laughs> um, exactly. We, ha- we we have a, a little segment. We have a, a researcher named Kaylin, and so we have a segment called Kaylin's Questions. And so today I have two questions for you from Kaylin. Uh, one, during the pandemic, have you noticed if people are more likely to try these the the kind of the, the fine artisanal products that you specialize in to add some spice to their day while staying at home or do you think that people have turned more inward towards their familiar comfort snack uh, snacks for kind of a sense of security i think that in general people are really excited to support small businesses and i find that there's a shift in the marketplace where people are not as interested in these products that have been around for a very long time. And they really want artisanal treats, especially when they have, um, you know, when they are gluten-free, vegan, and they're checking off those boxes that a lot of these other snack companies do not check off. 
Ooh, I, I know a product that checks some of those boxes. I do. I know one too. It's your product. <laughs> Which I don't think we've mentioned, but that that's how that's how we were first connected was uh, through through business, and then podcast came next. Okay, second question for from Kaylin. Uh, because you work with some of the best uh, artisanal snack makers, have you observed any shifts in terms of what types of snacks um, that are being sought out? or produced or, or, and, and rephrased basically, um, are there certain types of snacks or criteria for snacks that society, um, is, is moving towards, um, either phasing in or phasing out of? Well, the, the, the products that a lot of, uh, hotels are phasing out are products containing nuts. Uh, some hotels won't even pick up a product if it's made in a facility with nuts. So, Phasing out, definitely nut products. And it breaks my heart because <laughs> I oh, love, too. love, I know it's just, it's gosh, but uh, phasing in, I would definitely say, you know, vegan, vegan products, people like they are, you know, leading the market. They, people love them. So that's what everybody wants. Yeah. Yeah. The more people you can be, you can include with a single product, uh, the better. So as we look to wrap things up here, Shane, tell us what is the best way for our listeners to support you and learn more about your products? The best way would be to go to lesnackpack.com and there's no C's in the, the pack. So it's L-E-S-N-A-C-K-P-A-K.com. And when they're staying at a hotel, ask about the Lesnack Pack join in on the exploration guide. And uh, we really hope that you're going to have your travels optimized with these amazing treats and that you'll have a little memento that that travel will always have a place in your heart and on your fridge or, you know, your jacket, wherever you want to put this, this little souvenir, but uh, we want your, your travels to be memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait until the next time I travel period. And then also I can't wait until the next time I travel and I, I walk in and I, and I get a, a little snack pack. I just uh, can't, can't wait. Um, Shane, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your, your journey and, um, and, and all about the snack pack and Nosh market and kind of your, your COVID experience and what you see coming next. I, I appreciate, um, I appreciate you. I appreciate your story. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you for having me. Thank you to my guest, Shane Shade of Les Snack Pack. If you want to learn more about the future of the hotel minibar, check out lessnackpack.com. That's Les Snack Pack with no C's. Or check out Nosh Market. That's N-O-S-H-M-R-K-T.com. Time now for my unsponsor, aka a small business doing everything right. They don't pay for a shout out and heck, they don't even know it's coming, but they deserve one. Today's show is not brought to you by Amani Coffee Company, maker of light and dark roast single origin organic coffees and a delicious canned organic cold brew. Their coffee is direct from Congo to cup, coming from a cooperative in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, consisting of over 2,100 smallholder farmers, all earning living and equal wages, a first for coffee cooperatives in the Congo. 
In addition to paying proper wages, they invest in much-needed infrastructure like water supply, schools, and roads. If that sounds like a mission you want to support and you like coffee, get your next roast from AmaniCoffeeCompany.com. That's Amani spelled A-M-A-N-I, AmaniCoffeeCompany.com. Speaking of shopping small, check out smallbizgoneviral.com for a rapidly growing list of unsponsors and small businesses run by our guests. There are over 100 businesses listed that you've probably never heard of but guaranteed will be impressed by. Someday this will all be over. Until then, fight the fatigue, social distance, and wear a mask. From a tiny office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back, as always, with our quick bonus lightning round. Three quick questions for Shane. Shane, question number one. What's your biggest source of stress from work? The biggest stress I have is managing relationships. So everybody is prioritized. Uh, Relationships are extremely important for any business. And also making sure that um, everything is up to snuff and that there's nothing falling between the cracks. Question number two, what is something you feel non-small business owners might not understand or be able to resonate with uh, or be able to empathize with your particular set of work stresses? You never have a moment where you can check out mentally uh, because you don't essentially really have a day off. It's a baby that you're taking care of forever. So that's really what it is. You have to love it because you're never really going to have a day off. And lastly, because this is a happy show, what are your favorite parts about being an entrepreneur? What are some of the biggest upsides? The biggest upside is living your passion and showing the inner workings of your heart that you've turned into a business and being able to create something from nothing. And lastly, having the ability to work wherever in the world is really amazing. And uh, when you're able to share the fruits of your labor with your family and friends, I think that that's also a big plus. I love it. (music) 